There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Pursuing your future doesn't end at 40. In fact, it may mark the beginning of knowing who you are, what you're capable of, and what you really want. But knowing what's next and how to get there can be a challenge, especially when old narratives play on repeat. Liberty Road is here to share stories so that you can consider your possibilities, pursue your purpose, and move into your future with intention. I'm your host, Netta Jones, and we're here to listen, learn, and liberate dreams one episode at a time. Well, hello, Liberty listeners. Welcome to another episode of Liberty Road. Today, you guys get to listen to Loria Stern of Eat Your Flowers. And I love the uniqueness of this business, but it was actually a cocktail party where I met the woman, and that that's what I loved even more. She's a bright light, and I'm so excited for you guys to get to hear her backstory and, and the work she's doing now. I think all you niche businesses will be very inspired, and all of you who want to get into a business like this will be very inspired. Loria, welcome to the show. Thank you, Netta. This is so fun. I know it is so fun. So tell people who don't know what Eat Your Flowers is, tell us a little bit about that business. All right. Well, Eat Your Flowers is my baking company. We hand make every item in the bakery. Everything is bespoke. We are known mostly for our usage of edible flowers. So we hand press edible flowers into our cookies and cakes and um, we ship nationally. So uh, anyone in the United States can um, sample our treats. We have also shipped internationally as well. I love many aspects about my business, but what I find um, especially unique is that we don't use any preservatives or artificial colorants uh, in our bakery. And we take the ingredients and where we get them from very seriously. So you can rest assured that we're using the highest quality of 
of anything that a bakery could use. So yeah. I'm proud of that, you know? You should be proud of that. Tell us a little bit about how does one know which flowers to eat? Like, how do you become an expert in that? Or did you Google it or did you have some sort of prior knowledge? Well, my history with edible flowers started in about 2012. Uh, at the time, I was working at a fancy hotel as a pastry chef. And I was also enrolled in an adult education, edible and medicinal plant class. So I took three semesters of that class and it was just so inspiring and interesting Mm. to me. Essentially, we would walk around on hikes in Southern California and identify different plants and um, what the earliest inhabitants of the land did with these plants. And I was so shocked to find that many of these plants are edible and not just edible, but they're medicinal as well. So it was in those days when I just really learned as much as I could about foraging and what plants are edible, what, what you use them for, especially medicinally wise, I found like so fascinating. And, you know, it was just in those days I was learning these fancy French pastry technique and, you know, about edible flowers and Mm. and other botanicals and just combining those two things together. So. Could you see that? Could you see that in your head? Like, this is the intersection of these two things that I am passionate about? It was just um, kind of a natural process of engaging myself in what I like to do. And then it e- equaled those things, I guess, yeah. if that sort of makes sense. Yeah. You know? What I love about that and what I hope that our listeners will hear is that you can take these two seemingly disparate things in your life that you are curious about. I try and stay away from the word passionate because sometimes I think that can be a little overwhelming. Like, what are you passionate about? But where you're, where you're curious, deeply curious and sort of find a place where they can live together. And that becomes your sort of unique factor or your secret sauce. I mean, in your case, 100%, right? This is such a unique thing to combine these two things. What did you do prior to the work you're doing now that sort of informed it? Or were you doing something altogether different? That's an interesting question. (laughs) My whole life growing up, I was a tennis player. I uh, played division one college tennis. I played semi-professional tennis tournaments. Uh, So when I graduated college, you know, my skill set was really in tennis. <laughs> I wasn't allowed to be a studio art major. I wasn't allowed to be a sure. architecture major. So after college, I taught tennis and um, I did that for years. And the whole time I was cooking and baking for the pros at the club, <laughs> just experimenting because I grew up cooking and baking with my mom, who is a really good home cook. And Looking back on myself and how I operate as a really hardworking person with mm-hmm. a lot of persistence and optimism and belief in myself and almost just relentless hard work, um, I attribute a lot of those attributes to being a tennis player. Yeah. I think in some ways, teaching tennis informed, uh, you know, where I am now, but of course, they're very different job. Sure. But the early lessons of if you put in the work and you put in the time and your discipline, there are positive outcomes. Yeah. And then for me, especially like I remember my, my parents would say, you know, visualize where you're going to serve, where visualize winning this tournament, you know, a lot of like 
optimistic visualization. And I do that still with my bakery business. And if I'm about to give a speech or about to do something that maybe is a little nerve wracking, like I, I visualize like a positive outcome, like what I want to happen, like the best case scenario, you know, and that has parlayed over and been a really like positive factor. Yeah. I want to talk about that. Actually, did you visualize being in Oprah magazine, being in Vogue, having the success that you've had? Like, you know, when we met, it was before the holidays and you were just talking about, oh my gosh, the overwhelm. We have so much going on. We have so many orders. We have so much activity, which is such a gift and a blessing to an entrepreneur. But it's real, right? The struggle is real. Did you visualize that? Could you see that? Or was this sort of a a lovely side gig? Like, did you did you have the intention that you were going to go the distance with this and this was going to be a serious business? Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, along with like positive visualization and all those things, I am just a human that grew up with a lot of adversity in my own life and which mm-hmm. also parlayed for me into some sort of imposter syndrome, I guess you could say. For a while, I was still nervous. Are people going to order cookies this week? Oh, I don't know if they will. Or I I was always kind of on edge. You know, can I support an employee outside of myself? Always on edge. And it wasn't until I finally sat down with myself, saw how much I was paying in taxes, and thought... <laughs> This is a consistent business. You can afford to invest in it. You can afford to invest in really good support and help. And and that's what I needed to advance. So it's interesting that you asked that. I didn't really feel secure, I guess, within my own success until recently. I would say like maybe a year ago. That's interesting to me. And perhaps it was a lack of security. But the flip side of that coin is also a conservative and thoughtful approach to doing business, to not overextending yourself, to not taking unnecessary risks. So I think I I don't want to I don't I'm not trying to take away what was difficult. I'm just trying to say that there's two sides to that coin and I think there's a lot of people for whom they can say they had all the belief in the world in themselves. And the flip side to that coin is they overextended and took unnecessary risks, right? So uh, there's something to that. And I offer that up both to you, um, but also to the listener who says, oh, yeah, I'm coming from a similar place. And I'm not, I'm not trusting myself or this vision or the actual books. Like the numbers were data. They were telling you something. I love how you just phrased that. And I love how you flip the coin on that because you're completely right. That's true. Yeah. I need to give myself um, credit for, for being, I don't know if prudent is the word, but yeah, um, vigilant. Word actually, yeah. yeah. Just, I've never been a business owner before. I've never taken huge risks in my life. And I still am not doing those things. It's, it's more of like a conservative approach to where it's like, once I can afford that other employee, well, then I will hire them. Once sure. I, I can afford to do this, then I will do that, you know? Sure. So it's not just sure. like overextending, taking out a bunch of loans. You know, I've never done any of that. I'm thinking of your staff 
were you intentional about the public relations side of it? Because one thing that struck me when I was doing my homework was just how much really meaningful press you have received. And the product is unique enough, and I, I think this is something important for people to hear, the product is unique enough that it can stand alone. It's sort of press-worthy, right? There are not a lot of people doing what you do. And surely when you started, that was the case. Perhaps now there's some other copycats or whatever. Lots. But were you intentional about pursuing that, about seeking that out, or, or was that sort of organic? You know, I feel really grateful that all of the press I've ever received has been organic. I have never, wow. I've never approached anybody. Um, all of these magazines, you know, often big, big national publications, they've yeah. always come to me and that's remained the case. So I feel very grateful for that. And I think part of it is, you know, I didn't start out with a business, with a game plan. Mm -hmm. I was doing what I wanted to do. I was doing what I love. And I think that did come through, especially on social media, you know, mm -hmm. Here I am making another batch of cookies in my little home kitchen. And these cookies don't fit into the freezer because this freezer is so small, but I'm going to get it done anyway. You know, just that kind of a mentality. It wasn't like, okay, come buy this now. This is for sale. You know, it was very much rootsy and scrappy and just <laughs> trying to do what I like to do and, and share the love, like ship these cookies out to Maine because these people want them and I want them to have them. So I, I think that that was attractive in a way for press. You sure. Know? I think people can see that. Uh, I, I mean, consumers can see that. It can feel organic. Mm -hmm. But where did they see it? Where did people hear about you and find out about you before the press? Instagram. And it was Instagram. And it were you Instagram. doing everything out of your home kitchen? So there, oh, was yeah. no, there was no brick and mortar? Oh, no. No. Okay. Everything was out of my kitchen for years. And my kitchen was a tiny kitchen. It was actually a, a early 1900s built guest house on a okay. sprawling property. In Santa Barbara or in Montecito. Santa Barbara, in Montecito, yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, okay. You know, I call it the golden years. It was a really beautiful time in my life of where course. I had access to citrus orchards, grapevines, a lot of different produce to experiment with, and then my own garden too. Yeah. So yeah, and I was just organically posting on Instagram. And uh, what happened was... A famous DJ ordered my cookies off Instagram for her wedding and the Vogue covered the wedding. And then I started receiving emails from people with Vogue in their, in their email oh, <laughs> name asking if they could buy the cookies. And then I said, of course, like this is how much they cost. And then I said, yeah. okay, I should, I should get a website. So I put up a website with the listing. You know, I did this all on my own, had no idea what I was doing. And I just started getting orders right away and it's never stopped. One so. foot in front of the other. It's how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, you know, like, oh, people are asking to buy cookies. Well, I might as well put up a website. Okay. Nothing was really planned right. <laughs> or orchestrated in that way, you know? So you started this on Instagram. The, the moral of the yeah. story is if you have Instagram and you have a vision, you can start a business. I think there's a lot of different social media right sure. now, you know, sure. there's, there's always been YouTube, which I haven't really explored. There's TikTok, which is, I'm just starting to do that. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's a lot of stories of people hitting it big off of just creating and posting on some platform. Yeah. And I think the thing that I've realized is that the algorithm changes, you know, and you can't solely rely on that one platform to keep going for you. 
So it's, it's about adjusting. And, And that's like a different story. Initially, for me, I think there was some sort of lucky moment happening where Mm -hmm. I was baking these cookies that were beautiful. And Instagram at the time, you know, in 2016, was a big platform that was all based on digital, something pretty. So everyone wanted to repost something different and pretty, right? So that's, for me, that's kind of how it started. That makes sense. And you found a platform that fit. I mean, at the time, there weren't as many platforms. But I think part of what is important in this is you find a platform that fits whatever your offering is, right? Um, If it's information, if you're a service, then talk, share about the service, educate people, give them value. If you have something beautiful, show them, show them that beautiful thing. I think also don't do it for an outcome. Mm. Do it because you want to share or you want to inspire or, you know, like Mm -hmm. that's my advice. What I love about that advice is it takes the pressure off of being um, sort of performance oriented and looking at the algorithm and saying, I need to point at bubbles of words, you know, and I need to create some sort of dance. And it's just like, do what, what you need to do to share what you have to share. Like, do that. And the audience that finds that meaningful will find you and do it consistently, do it consistently. And over time, like you can, I don't think you can do three weeks of anything and say, well, that didn't work. You've, I think you've got to keep showing up. Absolutely. I would say for a minimum of six months. And also, you know, um, on that note, Instagram for me was easy. Like it was an easy platform for me to understand when it comes to TikTok, which I'm trying to figure out right now, that's not coming as easy to me. Yeah. So my advice is for people to seek out, you know, the platform that they feel good about that's like easier for them to use. And I think your your particular product is not necessarily only people of this age buy your cookies. Now, maybe a certain demographic affords your cookies and, you know, delights in that sort of thing. But our demographic and what we're doing is very specific. So I think it's also important to look at a platform where those people show up and that those people find easy to consume. Absolutely. Having said that, there's a lot of success with the Midlife Plus on TikTok. Bobby Brown is a great yeah. example of that. So yeah. don't think you're you're out of the game there. No, for sure. And I just need to learn how to use the platform. Yeah. You yeah. know, there's I all can't tell you. This is <laughs> this is confusing, but it's really yeah. just sitting down, okay. Learning. I'm gonna learn like how anything. to use this like anything. And it's yeah. really not that hard. You just have to dedicate a couple hours here and there to it, you know? Yes. I wanna say, I wanna just go back and say because the the press that you got was so um impressive. And I want to say just on the heels of you talking about that being organic and sort of one thing leading to another, the story you told explains how you got onto Vogue, but you went on to get into Martha Stewart and Oprah. And I don't even know where the list is. I had it here somewhere. Goop. And there's just a ton of others. I think Cosmopolitan Magazine, there's a ton of others. And so those people are all paying attention to each other, right? So when you get one of those things, you can almost bet that at some point, some other outlets are going to hear about you. People are going to appreciate the the love you're putting in, the work you're putting in, and that they find that there is a story there. I think people can 
sort of sniff through anything that's um feels perfunctory to a brand like okay I've, this is the thing i've got to do today on my social or the thing i've got to do today in my email and there are other humans on the other end who are digesting everything that we're putting out and i think if if we are authentic is so overused but if we just show up as who we are and what we have to offer i just believe that the right people will gravitate towards that absolutely did you ever think you would end up on those particular pages of those no. magazines? Oh my gosh, yeah. no. I mean, yeah. I remember after, you know, I was in Vogue magazine first. That was my first big. And you've been there a couple times. Four times now in print, which I'm very, Amazing. Yeah, you know, I think it's miraculous to be honest. You know, I'm very grateful. But after I think Vogue was, was the first big piece. And then, you know, it was a couple others and then Oprah, which in my eyes was just, you know, it was really yeah. up there. And, and I remember going off to sleep, you know, right before bed and I'm just, I woke up and it hit me like you've been in Oprah magazine. And it was just this big, like eureka moment of like, oh my goodness, this is wild. Like I've tapped into something that, and I remember thinking that I can't believe this. (laughs) Like it just hit me, you know, and I felt very grateful for it. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I still think the press that I've received is miraculous. Any words of caution? on receiving that sort of press? Like, did you feel the the orders coming in or the pressure in any way? Was it like, oh, no, we weren't prepared for this? Or were you guys oh, like, yeah. no problem? We got, oh, oh. you were. Crazy. I'm baking out of my house, you know? And Oh, you were still baking out of your house when that happened? Oh, yeah. So beyond just the initial Vogue one? Oh, yeah. <laughs> wow. I tried okay. to go to another, I mean, this is a background story, but I, yeah. I tried to go to a um, commercial kitchen in, in Santa Barbara where I was living at the time. And um, I rented it. I was so excited. It was a big, beautiful space. And I couldn't figure out the ovens. Every batch was burning <laughs> my cookies. Wow. Or, or cracking them. It was just too much high powered heat. You know, the recipe I developed was out of a little oven that's probably 40 years old, right? So maybe not that old. Yeah. And so I had to retreat, go back to my kitchen and continue baking out of there. I also, um, I found a co-packer, uh, they actually approached me. So I tried working with them and that was a disaster. Um, you know, my cookies that I'm making, I had another, like a a friend of a friend come in who's worked at Michelin star restaurants. And Mm -hmm. he said, you're doing Michelin star processes here. The way you're decorating these cookies, the care and attention that goes into the flowers and herbs you're using and the different designs, this is very specific. And it's almost like, Michelin starred like ways of making something. And I never thought of it that way until he said that. But now looking back, it completely makes sense because not anyone can just come in and decorate and make these cookies look beautiful how they should. Sure. I've realized that after hiring a lot of people. So that makes that hard to scale. That makes it hard oh, to yeah. find somebody that can put the attention to detail towards every single cookie, never mind, you know, I mean, you can teach them what you know about the flowers and the flowers to use and how it should be placed on a cookie or placed on a cake. But it's how they do each of those things, you know, that matters. Has that been tough? Oh, yes. It's been very challenging. And, you know, it's just the culinary industry in general. Yeah. It's really underappreciated. And 
I mean, I, I, you know, I've talked about this before, but just six years ago when I was working at a bakery in 2016, I was getting paid $9 an hour. I was 32 years old at the time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's not a living wage, especially in New York City where I was living. And now all my bakers get paid more than double that. And the prices for things, you know, what I'm selling cookies for isn't that much more than what people were selling cookies for in those days, like special cookies. So it's just really, it's a really hard industry and it's hard work, hard labor. And the margins are really small. So it's especially a baking company. Yeah. It's definitely, we've had our challenges for sure. It's good to hear because I think people can look at the price of these things and be like, oh my gosh. But when you view the, not just the hard work, but sort of the artistry and the years of knowledge that go behind that, you understand like the value here is over years and years of expertise and experience, never mind that that particular thing that you're about to put in your mouth, like somebody labored over that one. Oh yeah. These aren't chocolate chip cookies. Absolutely. And I think going back to the media that you received, those outlets all were probably exactly where you belonged um, in terms of getting the audience, the reader from those particular publications to you. Those are people who would appreciate that intentionality, that work, could afford it, um, seem to all sort of work in concert with one another. In going through your website, uh, I noticed that there's a cookbook coming out this spring. Tell us a little bit about that. And in all the crazy busyness that you already have going on, why a cookbook? What was it that a cookbook was going to do for you that running the business hadn't done? Well, I've dreamed of writing a cookbook my entire life. Mm -hmm. Number one, it's accomplishing a lifelong dream of mine. Uh, Number two, these are really good recipes and I really, really wanted to share them with people. So, you know, they're on repeat in my fridge every week. And yeah. whenever I serve them to friends or clients, you know, cause I also do catering, it's sticks in people's memories. Like, can you give me that green sauce recipe? What was in the almond miso? I'm craving it. This is insane. You know, and not just from ordinary people, like famous people who yeah. have tried and tasted everything. I really have faith in these recipes and how easy they are to make and how delicious they are. So, so that's the the second thing. <laughs> and then the other thing, um, you know, it was, it's, it was a really cool process to learn how to do. Mm-hmm. I really grew a lot from it and it's like my first baby. I don't have any kids by the way. So this is actually my second, I'd say my business is my first baby. This is kind of my second baby. And you know, it's a big deal for me. And it's also a way I imagine to share the brand, right? So maybe somebody can't have one of your beautiful cakes, but somebody can have your cookbook. And so they can get a piece of you and the intentionality that you've put into other things that you're creating in a book that they can use on repeat. Exactly. It sounds like the book is both sweets and savory. Yes. Okay, fun. It is. It's everything. It has breakfast, snacks, soups, dinners, lunches. There's a really robust uh, pantry section. We call it the botanical pantry. So that's, you know, dressings, toppings, 
sauces, just different things that are easy to make that would just really enhance any sort of plain dish. Awesome. And that's coming out in when we say spring. April 25th. Okay, in April. All right. Awesome. So excited. Will that be on your site? Yeah, it's it's on Amazon right now. Okay. So people can pre-order. Yeah. It's on Barnes Noble too. And a lot of independent bookstores are also carrying the book. So. Okay. If there's an independent bookstore that you uh, prefer, let me know, especially if it's a woman-owned one. We, we love those. Yeah. So we'd love to share that with our audience. I'll send you some options. Okay. Awesome. Gloria, something exciting that's happened with you is that you were just on Shark Tank Tell us a little bit about that story. Like how, how did you get on? And I think more importantly, I mean, you're having a lot of success. Why was getting on Shark Tank important to you? Was it financing? Was it the mentorship? Was it, you know, learning more about business or having sort of that business acumen be a part of the business? Tell us a little bit about that. For me, it was really just seeking mentorship. My business has done well to where, you know, I've, I've never... Uh, raise money before I never needed to, as we talked about, you know, slow and steady. Yeah, I've been going for years at a slow and steady pace. But the inspiration to go on Shark Tank was was really just the mentorship. And since the experience, um, I've already developed so much mm. and seen my my business and my future dreams of what I'd like to happen. I see that in more clarity. Because yeah. because of the, going on the show and thinking about my business and, you know, all, everything involved. I would think that just preparing for going on the show made you sort of look under the hood a little bit. Like, what have I done and how have I done it? And what are the items that are scalable that I'm creating? And what are the items that are unique and one of a kind, but they're important because they sort of tell a PR story? And like, you really have to examine each piece of the business. Absolutely. And I've never examined the business quite like that. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, after I did so, I, I learned so much about the business that it really has changed um, me and, you know, where I want the business to go. And that it also inspired me to separate myself from my business. So, you know, I'm Loria Stern, the chef who started the bakery, eat your flowers. It's not just everything's all rolled into one. I love that you were able to learn all that in the process. And no spoiler alerts here. We're going to make sure and list the episode number so that people can tune in on their own to see how everything worked out. It's exciting. I'll just say that. Okay. Okay. Thanks. (laughs) You're wetting our appetite. (laughs) And then part of the event that you and I met at, there was a a social kind of piece of of that event. It wasn't just it wasn't just a cocktail party. And it looks to me like that's a really important piece of your business, that there are three nonprofits that you have uh, given back to and partnered with in various ways. Why is that important to you as a business owner? Because you could just write a check and not mention it on your site or not be vocal about it. What is it about sharing that with your audience, sharing that with your consumer that is important to you? To me, it's we're all humans. We all live on this planet. You know, different people are granted different 
things in life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, um, you know, not to get into my personal story too much, but I grew up with a lot of adversity around mm-hmm. my life growing up. And to look back and see where I did get help, um, whether it was just emotional support from different mentors or financial support from different institutions, like mm-hmm. like the college I went to or the United States Tennis Association sponsored me for years, you know, so different ways where I got support and, and to look back and think if I didn't get the, that support, where would I be? Mm-hmm. I don't think I would be where I am now. So for me, it's really important to be able to share that in any way that I can with organizations that I find really inspiring and they're, they're, they're doing good work. Do you pick the organizations for any particular reason or is it just they sort of move you and so you want to give back to them? The ones that I supported last year that are currently on my website, those are specific ones that I yeah. found and, you know, read up on and did some research and really felt inspired by the work they're doing. Yeah. So we'll share them. We'll share them in the show notes as well okay. so that people cool. can get get to know them and get to know both what's important to you, but I think also just exposure to those independent uh, institutions is, is really uh, it's always good. And I think it's one of the gifts we get as, as entrepreneurs is that we get to figure out how we can not only bolster our financial bottom line, but our give back bottom line. How do we create a bottom line that is, we know we're successful when we can support others and we can support uh, other institutions, other people, uh, find ways to to take what we've been able, whatever wealth we've been able to generate. And wealth, by the way, is a single dollar. You know, I think we think of it oh, as, yeah. well, when I'm making millions, then I'll share. It's anything that we have, any of the resources that we have. Absolutely. And time too. I mean, for me, I think that's more valuable than a dollar. So, yeah. you know, if there's time to go back into something, even if that's just your employees. We talked about how you got into this. Was any of it by design? And by that, I mean, we know that it was accidental and you were doing it because you loved it. The intentionality was bringing these two things together, marrying these two things that you were curious about. But were you focused on or searching for an entrepreneurial outlet? Did you want to be your own boss? Was any of that kind of by design early on? Oh, yeah, always. Yeah. When I was five years old, I was picking the vegetables in our garden and and made a sign for sale at the end of the driveway. I mean, I was always kind of a little entrepreneur. There's other instances where like I painted on um, kids socks and t-shirts and sold it at the kids clothing store in Ojai where I grew up. So, and my parents always um, supported that for me doing these little projects, I guess. It's funny, you get that little high when you're like, somebody bought my thing, somebody found value in this. And oh, I took a bunch of things that, you know, most people would find meaningless and I put them together. I don't care if it's a lemonade stand or, you know, painting on socks and t-shirts. There's something about that, that if, I think if you have that sort of personality, it's sort of a spark. It's like, oh, this is something I want to continue to do. My youngest one definitely has that. He's like, huh. If you put one and one together, you might actually end up with three, not two. Yes. So yeah, yeah. but I, I think it's it's great to to foster and to nurture those things in young people in particular, but I would say 
even in women in midlife, which is part of you sure. know, what this platform is trying to do. Think about everything that you've learned in, you know, Eat Your Flowers by Loria, in the book process, in getting media coverage that you got and the kind of highs and, and lows of, of running this business. What has it taught you specifically about yourself? <laughs> well, how long, how much time do we have? <laughs> yeah, let's see. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that is a beautiful question that's, you know, I could go so many different ways with, but mm. the first thing that comes to mind right now is that there's no such thing as a failure because you learn from everything. So anything that, you know, could go wrong is really just a lesson. Mm-hmm whether that's hiring the wrong designer for the uh, website upgrades that I needed. <laughs> right. Just everything is a lesson to be learned and it's not a failure. And to so, build on. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that I can also apply that to my life outside of my, my career. Yeah. Everything is a lesson to be learned. Relationships. Yeah people, how you interact, how you care for yourself. Every single aspect. Yeah. You know, I wish I had learned this a lot earlier on, but to not beat myself up, to not put myself down, to not be hard on myself. And I'm still working on that because I am a perfectionist. I always have been. It's mm-hmm. I always have been, you know, a tennis player. Yeah. And it doesn't always have to be that way. And, and it's unrealistic to think that it will be that way, especially the first time you do something. Sure. Giving that grace of making mistakes and learning from them. And that's just life. And it's going to keep happening throughout my life. Because that is life. That is life. But you've probably learned the benefit of good enough can get you somewhere. And good enough can get you to test things and try things and open new doors. Absolutely. Yeah. And um, with that said, I've never turned anything down because uh, I don't think I'm ready for it or I can do Mm it. I'm always a yes, (laughs) ma'am. So whatever people want, I try to deliver it. And if it gets to a place where I don't, I don't think I can or, you know, then it's being having really good communication around that. And probably boundaries, too. You've you've learned what to say yes and what to say no to. Well, especially now I am getting so busy and my time is so limited. I sure. have to really value my energy and um, where I'm spending it, who I'm spending it with, yeah. all of those things. It's really important for self-preservation and self-preservation is important for the energy I'm putting out there to my team and everything else, you know? Yeah, it's responsibility. When you start to think of it that way, it's like, oh, okay, I owe it to myself. I owe it to the other people in my life, whether I'm working with them or their, you know, um, friends and family. Um, Thank you for taking this time to be with us and and using your time in this way. I really appreciate it. But you're not off the hook yet. We've got our fast five. What's a hack of something that you are doing it could even be just a regular practice that you're doing that you think our audience of women over 40 should be paying attention to. I think a little hack is, I don't know why I'm being called to say this right now, but I'll just yeah. say it. There's a book called The Art of the Start, and it's about 
starting something and not being scared to start it. Uh-huh. And I don't know if that's a hack or what it is, but it's definitely a idea that I think about a lot of, oh, I'm not ready to launch this product yet because X, Y, and Z. No, you're ready. You just, you've got to do it. And then yeah. you sort it out from there. So it's really just starting something and not being scared to, to start it. Just really taking that first step. I'm glad you said that because um, I know why you said that. I know you, why you were called to say that because that's really the premise of what we're doing here with mm-hmm. the podcast is Great. the intention is that when women tune in to hear other women's stories, that they're inspired to think about their own story in a new way and to create their own story. And the hardest part of doing that is starting. So yeah. you, you just you just gave them a, an actual tool to do that. So we will also link that in the show notes. And then this is a funny second question because it's what's something that you're reading right now. So maybe outside of the art of the start, is there something else you're reading right now? I'm not reading anything at the moment, to be honest. I'm sorry. I'm too No, busy. that's, I mean... <laughs> You're reading the art of the start. That's good. I'm. I listen to podcasts. I, I can share the ones that I listen to. Yeah, tell us what, one of your favorite ones. This one aside, like we already obviously know this. Yeah, one, obviously. <laughs> Outside of this one, uh, I, I listen to this podcast called Jillian on Love. It's about okay. relationships and communication and boundaries. I really like it. Uh, I also uh, am listening to Elise Lohman's Pulling the Thread. Love that one. Yeah. Yeah. Love that one. And this other one called How to Turn Yourself into a CEO or something. And okay. it's a women podcast for other women entrepreneurs. Those so. are three great recommendations. See, we didn't yeah. need a book. You had three great <laughs> podcasts. And then what's just one single bit of advice? You've already given a lot of wisdom, but something that you would say to a woman who is 40 plus and she's thinking that, I don't know, you know, it might be a little late for me to start something. What do you want to say to her? I want to say no, that's not yeah. true <laughs> because, um, I mean, look back in, in so many other women's careers and see what, what year they started doing something. Yeah. One particular story that comes to mind is um, the lady who started Tate's Cookie Company. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think she sold for like a billion dollars or something crazy. I listened to her story on the podcast, How I Built This, Yeah. which I really recommend everyone to listen to her episode in particular. It's really inspiring. But essentially, she started her company, Tate's Bakery, at I think she was 46 or 48 years awesome. old. And look what she did with that. I yeah. mean, I think people should start at any age, no matter what. And it's the art of the start. Don't put up um, walls for yourself. Excuses. Yeah. Excuses. Who's got time for excuses? Yeah. No, well, we and the reality is, I say this, it feels like in every podcast these days, but, or in every interview these days, but the reality is you are more resourced than you've ever been. You have more connections. You have more experience. You have more exactly value to offer. Perhaps you're more financially secure than you've ever been. And that doesn't mean you've got tons of money sitting around. It only means that you might just be a little bit uh, more able to manage those finances or, or whatever, right? Able and savvy, for sure. I've, yeah. I've never been smarter than I am at this moment. And I'm only going to get smarter, I think, 
as I get older. Life just gets better as you get older. I agree. Well, okay. You're now you're leading into the the fourth question, which Great. is what do you say to your 25 year old self? Like what's the 25 year old Loria need to know about midlife? She was such a cutie. She, you know, she tried so hard. She was a yes, ma'am. Anything yeah. anyone asked her to do, she did. And my advice to her is to keep going and to not be so hard on herself hmm. and to protect herself from people who don't want the best for her. And I still think about that, you know, really surrounding yourself with people who are cheering you on, who want the best for you. I think there's so much wisdom in that. We all need a team behind us. Yeah. And friends and family members, it doesn't matter who it is. You need to surround yourself with people who are cheering you on, who, who want the best for you. Yes. Thank you for making that distinction. Because when I say team, I don't mean hired people. I mean, a, a group of people who uh, support you. believe in what you're doing and support you. And then how has launching and growing this venture liberated you? I can do whatever I want to do Yeah, <laughs> every day. I don't because often what I want to do is, you know, just take a walk or go to Paris. <laughs> I could if I wanted to, I guess, yeah. but you know, I have obligations and responsibilities, but ultimately there's a freedom involved in, you know, managing my own time and life. But oftentimes I find myself doing what I need to do, but it's also what I like to do in a lot of ways. Yeah. So that freedom to spend your time as, as you wish, uh, even with all its responsibilities. Exactly. Loria, thank you for spending this time with us. I so, so appreciate it. Um, it's great to hear your story. And I know so many will will benefit from hearing how you did it so that they can start something themselves. Um, thanks for being with us. Oh, my pleasure, Netta. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. Absolutely. And Liberty listeners, thank you guys for hanging out with Loria and with me. And we will see you guys next week. Thanks. Liberty Road is broadcast on all platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and more. If you like what you've heard, please follow, rate, and review Liberty Road on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. It helps us to know if these episodes are inspiring and equipping your ventures. Liberty Road is produced by Netta Jones and Elizabeth Joy Windham and music by Jordan Flower. Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. 
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code Buttery. Exclusions apply. See site for details.